0: Well, thanks to Paul and to our musicians this morning for a wonderful celebration of Easter. Would you like just to say thank you to them? Thank you. And now I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. On Easter Sunday mornings, we give extra time to music because it allows all of us to celebrate in such a wonderful, united way the resurrection of Christ. As we turn now to the Word of God, we see one of the many texts dealing with the truth of the resurrection. I'm going to read 26 verses. I'm going to begin with verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and you believed. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There's two questions I want to pose this morning as we think about the resurrection. The first is, is it true? And then, secondly, what does it mean to you and me? What if it's not true? Have you ever allowed that question to be raised in your own heart? Most thinking people have at some time, at some point in their lives, had that question at least cross the mind What if it's not true? What are the consequences of Christ not being raised from the dead? What if it isn't true? Paul in an outline fashion really gives us at least seven consequences that come to the human race if the resurrection did not occur. The first is that Christ, the Christian's faith is in vain. We have believed a fairy tale. Our faith is in vain and we are still in our sins, he says. That's consequence number one. Number two, the New Testament, which testifies that Christ was raised from the dead, was written by liars, people who are false witnesses. Number three, if Christ is not raised, then the dead have perished and they will never be seen again. They will not be raised. Fourth, if Christ is not raised, then this life is all there is. There is no reason to suffer as a Christian. And as he suggests later in the chapter, what we ought to do is to eat and drink and live life to its fullest. Because there's nothing beyond this. If Christ is not raised... Verse 23, he suggests that if Christ is not raised, then there surely will not be a return of Christ. We need not think about his coming again. Number six, Christ's kingdom will never come. Not only will he not come to the earth, but there will never be a kingdom of Christ upon the earth. And finally, if Christ be not raised, he tells us that evil has no final disposition. There is no final reckoning of rights and wrongs that have occurred in the history of the world. I think you would agree with me that those consequences would make life in this kind of a world intolerable and unbearable. One man tells about his first year in seminary in which he took a course called the Resurrection Narratives, And as a part of the course, they studied the texts of the Bible, the scholarly books written about those texts, and various essays on the resurrection and what we should believe about it. And then one day, he said, our professor came into class quite shaken. His closest friend had died that afternoon of a heart attack. And he said, brothers and sisters, after all the arguments... And debates are over. I believe in the resurrection because without it, life makes no sense. And that's true. But do we believe in the resurrection only because without it, life makes no sense? Or because life would be unbearable if Christ were not raised? Is there any historical evidence to point to the resurrection? Well, the answer to that, of course, is yes. There is in the first place the empty tomb that cannot be accounted for. His body could not be found. And had the enemies of Jesus taken his body and secretly hidden it somewhere else, they surely would have brought it out when the notion of his resurrection began to be talked about. And then Paul, in this chapter, lists for us the numerous appearances of Christ. He catalogues them for us, as it were, and says that hundreds of people saw him on one occasion at least, and that many of those people, when he wrote this book 20 years later, were still alive and talking about having seen Jesus Christ after he had been crucified. Then there was the supernatural confirmation of the angels who spoke to various individuals on that Easter Sunday and said, He is not here, he has risen as he said. Go and tell his disciples. And then we have the proof of his transformed apostles, who at the end of Good Friday were hiding in fear for their lives, but who after the first day of the week, the day of his resurrection, were absolutely changed men and women Because they had seen him, he was alive. They were different forever. If the historical record is honestly examined, then the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only logical explanation for these evidences that we've talked about. It is true. But what is the meaning to us Let me suggest four that arise out of the text in 1 Corinthians 15. Because it is true that Christ is risen, you have a gospel that will save your soul. The word gospel means good news. There is good news for us today, the race of Adam. It is the news that we can be saved. Paul writes to these believers. In Corinth, and he says to them, By this gospel you are saved. This gospel, there is only one, by the way. It is God's gospel. It is the good news that he has brought to us of his love and saving grace through Jesus Christ, his Son. There is no other gospel in the world that will save but this one. It is God's. There was a certain man who wanted to destroy Christianity and to replace it with a religious system of his own. But he failed to interest anyone in following him. He complained about that to one statesman in his nation in France. And asked how he might be able to create such a religion. And the man replied, go and be crucified and then raise yourself from the grave the third day. (laughs) That's how to do it. Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again from the dead, according to the Scriptures, and all of this for our sin. You and I have a gospel that can save our souls when we believe it. Paul uses several other words here to help us understand what it means to believe. He says it means to receive it, to take it to yourself, alongside of yourself, to make it something authoritative to you. He says further that it uh, is the same as standing. He says you stand in this gospel. When you stand on something, you believe it's going to hold you. I stand on this platform today because I believe it's going to hold me. And so when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're willing to place our weight on it. We're willing to entrust our souls to it. What does it mean that Christ is risen? It means that you have a gospel that will save your soul. Secondly, it means that you have a purpose that will fulfill your life. Paul speaks about his past. Candidly, he says, I persecuted the church of God. I'm not worthy to be even called an apostle. But he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because Christ is risen from the dead, he is able to take the wreck, the ruin of our past lives, to transform us, and to give us a brand new purpose in this world. For Paul, it was the purpose of being an apostle, one who would go out and declare the gospel to others who had never heard. While we may not be called to be apostles... The fact is that because Christ is risen from the dead, God calls us to a purpose in life. There is meaning to it all. There is sense to life. There is a reason for living. And we have the mighty working of the Holy Spirit to change us inwardly and to empower us. There's a great word that's popular these days. It's one of the buzzwords. To empower people. God has empowered us by the Holy Spirit. And we have the calling and the purpose of God and His Spirit within us because Christ is risen. What does the resurrection mean to you? Thirdly, it means that you have a hope that will transform your body. Paul says Christ is the first fruits. Now that's a a biblical term. Meaning that he is the first of many to follow. He is the prototype, as it were. He's the first fruits. And he says that those who are Christ are going to be like him one day. As in Adam we all died. He says, so in Christ we will be made alive. Resurrected. He describes it later in this chapter in more detail, much more detail, talking about the kind of body it will be and the fact that not all of us will die before we get that kind of body. Because he has risen, you have a hope that will transform your body. For most of us, that's pretty good news because we're beginning to realize that these bodies aren't going to make it out of this world alive like they are now. They're falling apart. They're dying slowly. All of us are terminal. Did you know that? But the fact is that because Jesus is risen, we have a hope that will transform our bodies. Benjamin Franklin may have been a deist, but he had some belief in the resurrection. He wrote his own epitaph and penned these words. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents worn out, lies here food for the worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it, sh- it will, as he believes, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by its author. How different is the last statement of Socrates, who, when he was dying, was asked by his friends, Shall we live again? This great philosopher could only reply, I hope so. Sir Walter Raleigh was a wonderful Christian and was beheaded for his convictions. In his Bible, the night before he was executed, he wrote these words, From this earth, this grave, this dust, My God shall raise me up. Because Christ is risen, you too have a hope that will transform your body. Because he has been raised, you will be raised to be like him forever. And finally, for this morning, because Christ is risen, you have an assurance that will preserve your patience. Do you ever get almost overwhelmed by what you hear on the news? Do you ever get to the point of becoming almost discouraged because it seems that wrong is forever on the throne and truth is on the scaffold? You and I, because Christ is risen, have an assurance. An assurance that preserves our patience in this world to live godly lives. That assurance is that one day there is going to be a final reckoning and all of the injustices, oppressions, and cruelties that go unanswered in this world will be set right. Jesus Christ will reign until all his enemies have been put down. And it says the very last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You can read about it in Revelation. You and I have an assurance that one day, because Christ has risen from the dead, one day there is going to be judgment. And on that day, those who have been the cruel abusers in this world and have gotten away with it, Are going to give answer. Indeed, the scriptures tell us that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It says that we will give answer for the works of our lives which are written as it were in books that will be brought out at the judgment before God. How do we know that will happen? Because God has raised Christ from the dead. Paul in declaring that truth on the hill of Athens at the think tank in that city, was jeered and whistled at because he said that Christ has been raised from the dead and by that God has given assurance that he will judge all men. And they could hardly accept that. But it's true. And it's as true today as it was when he proclaimed that in Athens back in the fifth decade A.D. We celebrate an event in history today which has more relevance than anything that has happened in your life since birth. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his resurrection affects how you will live this life and where you will spend eternity. The story is told about a godly man who was dying, he had three sons. Two of them were Christians. One had not come to faith in Christ. He called all three of them to his bedside as he was dying. And he said to them, Goodbye, my sons, to the two of them, Goodbye, my sons, I'll see you in the morning. And then he turned to his third son, who wasn't a Christian, and he said to him with a note of finality, Goodbye, son. The young man was deeply disturbed by his father's comment. He said, why did you say that? Why didn't you tell me that you would see me in the morning too? His father said, son, it's because you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what grieves me the most as I leave you. That I'll never see you again. The son knew what he had to do to become a Christian and began to weep at that point. And his father said to him, my son, if you will put your faith in Christ, then someday our family will be complete in eternity. And there at that bedside, his son kneeled and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Will your family be complete in heaven, my friend? Will you be there? You say, well, I said, Well, I believe in God. So does the devil. He's not going to be in heaven. In fact, he believes in, the, in God so much that he trembles at the very name of God. But he won't be in the, at the pearly gates and the golden streets. You see, it's more than just intellectually understanding there's a God, it's making that commitment, it's, it's standing up on this truth. It's receiving it to yourself as an authoritative word. It's believing. If you've not done that, will you do it today, on this day of the resurrection? And allow this living Christ, whom we worship and celebrate today, to come into your life, to change you for now and forever. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, if that's the desire of your heart, Would you pray something like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again from the dead, and I receive you into my life right now. I ask you to come in and to be my Lord and my Savior, to forgive my sins and to give me eternal life. My friend, if that is the prayer of your heart, God never, ever hears that prayer without answering it. He says, if you will believe on his Son, he will give you eternal life. Trust him today. Father, we rejoice in the one who is the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We rejoice in your Son. And I pray today that each of us will go from this place with hearts overflowing in the joy of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and rejoicing in him as the King and the Sovereign, not only of the world one day, but of our lives right now. Amen. As we leave this hour of celebration this morning, let's sing together from our hymnals number 228, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Number 228. We'll sing verses 1 and 4. Let's stand together, please, as we sing. spiritual help to you, if you've trusted Christ in this service, or you would like to talk or pray with someone, we have some elders and pastoral staff who'll be up in this area right after the service. As you exit, come this way, and allow them to have a moment with you in prayer. God bless you. We're dismissed. Thank you.